amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. On July 25, 1991, an 11-year-old boy named Arlen Henderson left his rural home outside of Moscow Mills, Missouri for a bike ride and never returned. Several months later, Arlen's bicycle was discovered beside a field approximately seven miles from his house. Authorities believe that someone kidnapped Arlen and left his bike near the field. It's been over 22 years since Arlen disappeared, and investigators are still searching for the person responsible. Hey everyone, welcome back to Detective Perspective. My name is Derek Lavasser. I'm a licensed private investigator and former police detective, and each week I'll be covering an unsolved case in story format. I'll then give you my perspective on the investigation and provide contact information for the individuals or organizations connected to the case so that if you have any tips, you can contact them directly and maybe you can help solve a case. And if you're someone who's interested in true crime, specifically unsolved cases, and you'd like to hear my opinion on those investigations, please consider subscribing whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you use. Okay, so this case tonight is a little different than some of the cases we've covered in the past. And by the way, this is episode number 10, so thank you for being here. The, the channel, the show, is growing at a rate that I did not expect and I appreciate all the positive words of encouragement as we're continuing to grow together. Uh, but back to this story. We're covering this tonight for a different reason than the past nine cases that we've covered. In those cases, there, in my opinion, were opportunities to maybe still do something in the case. Um, maybe law enforcement could take a different approach using the latest science and technology. But this case is a little different, and you're going to see why as we go through. I don't want to give everything away right now, but... To kind of foreshadow a little bit, there are going to be cases that we cover that I'm simply covering not to maybe take a different approach at it, but simply to make you aware of it. There's a lot of cases out there that have a dramatic effect on the community where it occurred or the family members or friends that were directly impacted by it. But for the bigger true crime community, we may not even know about it. And it's one of those situations where even though the case may be old, the only chance left at solving it is to keep it in the headlines, to keep it in the algorithm, to make people aware of it so that maybe something that's said during this episode triggers something for someone who lives in that community or someone who has information about it, hears something in here that affects them a certain way and they decide to come forward. At minimum, we cover it because these victims were real people. These are not just stories and they deserve justice 
And the best thing we can do to keep their name alive is to continue to talk about their cases. And hopefully something positive comes from it. But at minimum, we let their family members know that we're still thinking about them and we're here to support them. With that said, let's dive into this week's case. On March 16th, 1980, Charles Arlen Leon Henderson, who went by Arlen, was born in St. Louis, Missouri. His parents, Arthur and Deborah, also had a daughter named Joy, who was nine years older. In the mid-1980s, the Hendersons moved 50 miles northwest of St. Louis to the Fountain North Lakes Mobile Home Park near Moscow Mills. Within a few years, Joy moved out and got married. Then in 1990, Arthur passed away from emphysema at 46 years old, leaving Arlen and Deborah alone. Arlen was devastated by his father's death as they were very close. In the spring of 1991, Arlen finished up the fifth grade at Troy Elementary School where his favorite subjects were science and social studies. That summer, he spent his time swimming and riding his yellow and white Huffy bicycle around the mobile home park. He also liked hanging out with the neighborhood kids in a clearing near the woods, which they called their clubhouse. There, they played with their toy cars, climbed trees, and, and did other normal kid stuff. On July 25th, between 5 and 5.30 p.m., Arlen told his mom that he was going to ride his bike and look for his friends to play with. Deborah said okay, but only if he didn't leave the trailer park. As Arlen left the house, he asked his mom to save him a Polish sausage for dinner. She said she would, however, Arlen never came home. Later that evening, one of Arlen's friends came to the Henderson's home to see if Arlen could hang out. That's when Deborah realized Arlen was nowhere to be found. She got worried and called the Lincoln County Sheriff's Department to let them know that her 11-year-old son was missing. The search for Arlen began immediately. Around 150 neighbors, law enforcement officers, firefighters, and rescue teams scoured neighborhood houses, woods, hills, and farmlands. Despite their efforts, they found no trace of Arlen. According to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, shortly after Arlen vanished, someone called Deborah's home and asked for money in exchange for Arlen's return. Deborah couldn't remember much about the call except for her frantic plea stating, You've got my son. You've got my son. The caller abruptly hung up and never called again. The search continued the following day. The sheriff's department gave an update stating they didn't suspect foul play at this time. However, they had no reason to believe Arlen had run away. They then released a description of Arlen to the public. He was 4 feet 6 inches tall, weighed 75 pounds, and had blonde hair and blue eyes. He was last seen wearing a camouflage t-shirt, camo pants with a hole in the left knee, and black tennis shoes. By July 30th, the FBI had joined the investigation. They told the media that the circumstances surrounding Arlen's disappearance were, quote, suspicious, but they hadn't been able to conclude if Arlen had been abducted or not. Search parties continued to scour the surrounding areas with dogs, yet there was no sign of Arlen. It would be more than two months before any leads emerged in the case. On October 10th, a farmer found Arlen's bicycle while collecting aluminum cans along County Road 685, which is about seven miles from Arlen's home. The bike was discovered 15 feet from the road near a soybean field. The farmer called the police and both the sheriff's department and the FBI arrived. The St. Charles County Post reported that authorities determined the bike had been there for quote, quite a while and that the area had been searched previously. Authorities theorized that someone, most likely the abductor, placed the bike at the field's edge. Now I wanted to talk about this real quickly because there's two things being said there. They're saying that the bike had been there for a long time, so probably soon after Arlen's disappearance. 
But they also said that they conducted a search of that area in the past and they didn't find anything. So there's a couple things that could be going on here. First off, what we could have is that Arlen was abducted. He was kidnapped and his abductor took the bike. And then when the searches died down a little bit, that's when they dumped his bicycle along the road, probably away from their location so it wouldn't be connected back to them. So it is possible that when they originally searched the area, the bike wasn't there. And that's why they didn't find it. But based on what they said about the bike, it is very likely that it was dumped very soon after Arlen was taken. And the second theory is just as possible because I've, I've seen this before as well. You could have a situation where Arlen was riding his bike. He was snatched right off of his bicycle. The bike was left behind. And when the search was conducted, the people just simply missed it. I mean, we're talking about a, a bicycle in a large field. It, you would think like, oh, how could they miss that? It's very possible when you don't know where to look and anywhere is a potential location for a piece of evidence, it is possible depending on the, the quality of the search, depending on the skills of the searches themselves, the bike could have been missed during the first pass. Now the bicycle was taken in for testing. Investigators dusted for fingerprints and found at least one, but they haven't been able to identify the person it belongs to. Now this piece of information regarding the fingerprint is very interesting because obviously it could belong to the offender. But I'm going to weigh in more on this in, in our perspective. And the reason being is there's a lot of twists and turns in this case. And I think it'll all make more sense when we summarize it at the end. Authorities also searched the area where the bike was found for several days, but they didn't find any new evidence. To encourage people to share information, community groups offered a $10,000 reward for Arlen's safe return and a $1,000 reward for information about his bicycle. Months went by, and there was still no sign of Arlen. His mom, Deborah, desperately wanted to find him. She refused to move out of her home in case Arlen came back. She was scared he might return when she wasn't there. And when she went out to run errands, she left a note for Arlen on the door saying she'd be back soon. By the start of 1992, Deborah was feeling depressed and hopeless because she didn't think she was helping Arlen enough. So she decided to turn her home into a hub for gathering and sorting clues. She set up a new phone line for tips, made sheets to jot down information, and created flyers asking people for help. This made her feel like she was making a difference. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In September of 1993, over a year and a half after Arlen went missing, the FBI offered a $10,000 reward for information that could help find Arlen and catch the person responsible for his disappearance. An FBI agent said they didn't usually offer rewards, but they had been working hard and were running out of leads. 
The sheriff's department further revealed that they believed Arlen knew his abductor. They said, quote, this is somebody close to home. By the end of 1993, Deborah was still searching for Arlen. She worked with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children to put together an age-progressed photo of what Arlen would look like at 13 years old. Upon the photo's release, Deborah told the St. Charles Post that she knew someone out there had information. She begged them to come forward, saying, quote, Please help. I'm so tired. I don't know how much longer I can hold on not knowing. Sometimes I think I'm losing my mind. But no one came forward, and there were no updates in Arlen's case for years. On the evening of March 10, 2000, Deborah was at home waiting for her 29-year-old daughter, Joy, and Joy's three children to return home. They had been living with Deborah for a few months because Deborah left her husband, Bob Leonard, after he threatened her life. A knock on the door caught Deborah's attention, and she opened it to find Lincoln County Sheriff Jim Johnson. Deborah hoped he had news about Arlen, but unfortunately he didn't. Sheriff Johnson informed Deborah that Joy and three of her friends had been murdered at Joy's friend's house. Thankfully, Joy's three children were safe in the basement during the shooting. Sheriff Johnson said he suspected Bob's involvement, even though Bob wasn't present at the scene when police arrived. According to the St. Charles County Post, on the following day, Sheriff Johnson had a six-hour phone call conversation with Bob before Bob took his own life. During the call, Bob said he killed Joy because he couldn't bear to live without her, and he killed Joy's friends because he believed they influenced her to stay away from him. Bob further stated that he planned to take his own life because he couldn't face his children. Sheriff Johnson asked Bob if he had anything to do with Arlen's disappearance, and Bob denied any involvement. Sheriff Johnson later shared with the St. Charles County Post that he believed Bob was telling the truth. Deborah also expressed her belief that Bob had not harmed Arlen. Now, I want to weigh in on this real quick here because what we have is a situation obviously very tragic. And if, if Deborah hasn't experienced enough already involving her children, God, I don't, I mean, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. But when we're talking about Bob and this conversation with Sheriff Johnson, first off, kudos to Sheriff Johnson for remaining composed. He's working on one murder investigation here as far as Joy and her friends are concerned. But he has the forethought to also ask about Arlen. He knows what he's dealing with here. What what Bob's going through right now and what he's displaying is a dying declaration. He's basically clearing the plate because he knows he's about to take his own life. And I don't know if he was religious or not, but maybe he believes he's about to meet his maker and he's confessing to his sins before doing so. If Bob was directly involved with Arlen's disappearance or death, I do firmly believe that at this moment, he would have told Sheriff Johnson. Now, just because Bob wasn't directly involved in Arlen's disappearance or death, it doesn't mean he didn't somehow play a role. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. After news of Joy's murder and Bob's suicide became public, Deborah further told the Post, quote, I can't even explain the way I feel inside. My children are gone and I don't understand why. She said she still hopes every day for news about Arlen, stating, quote, Now that I've lost Joy, he's the only hope I have. Deborah added, quote, If Arlen is dead, I wish someone would let me know where his body is so I could lay him by his daddy and Joy. They wouldn't have to tell me anything else. After Joy was killed, Deborah took care of her three children. She didn't want to leave the house where she had raised Arlen, but it was too small for her and the three kids. So she moved to a bigger mobile home, which was only 80 feet 
from her previous residence. Deborah decided to keep the bills in Arlen's father's name and kept the same phone number just in case Arlen ever came back and needed to find her. On July 25, 2001, Deborah marked the 10-year anniversary of Arlen's disappearance. Five days later, authorities revealed that they had identified three men involved in Arlen's disappearance. 23-year-old J.D. Spangler, 29-year-old George Gibson, and George's brother, 37-year-old Charles Gibson. Authorities explained that just before the 10th anniversary, J.D. admitted to his girlfriend and family that he was responsible for Arlen's death. They reported this to the police, who then questioned J.D. During that interrogation, he confessed to killing Arlen. J.D.'s story was that back in 1991, when he was just 13 years old, he sold drugs for the Gibson brothers. That summer, Charles paid him $10,000 to kidnap and kill Arlen. Charles also threatened J.D.'s life if he refused. J.D. went on to explain that Charles couldn't kidnap and kill Arlen on his own because he was partially paralyzed from a car accident years earlier. On July 25th, J.D. drove over to Arlen's trailer park. When J.D. spotted Arlen, he jumped out, grabbed him, and placed him in the back of the truck's cab where George held him. Then they took Arlen to Charles' house, where they held him for three days. On July 28th, J.D. and George drove Arlen to a creek bed near Davis, Missouri, where J.D. then shot Arlen in the forehead. They then moved Arlen's body to the truck and went back to Charles' house so Charles could see him. After Charles saw Arlen, they buried his body in a shallow grave beneath a house close to the Mississippi River. Following J.D.'s confession, he led authorities to a burned-down home near the river, claiming that this was where Arlen was buried. The St. Louis Post-Dispatch reported that authorities searched in and around the house using infrared imaging, ground-penetrating radar, and cadaver dogs. However, they did not find Arlen on the first day, so the search continued. Now, despite not finding Arlen's remains, J.D. was charged with first-degree murder. However, he could only be charged in juvenile court due to the fact that he was 13 when the murder was committed. And because juveniles can only serve time until they're 21, J.D. wouldn't face a prison sentence. Now, sidetrack here, looking at this, yeah, I guess that's possible that because he was a juvenile when the incident occurred, he, at 21, would be released. However, what if he had been tried as an adult if they found out that he did this when he was only 13 years old? If he had been tried as an adult, he could be in prison for the rest of his life. So I only bring this up because of how this all kind of plays out as we go through this. But that was something that came to mind where, yeah, he was a juvenile when it occurred, but it's very likely based on the circumstances and the premeditation of all this, he more than likely would have been tried as an adult and he would have spent the rest of his life behind bars. Now, as far as George and Charles Gibson were concerned, they were also charged with first-degree murder and armed criminal action. They maintained their innocence, asserting that they had never even met J.D. Following the charges, Deborah told the Post-Dispatch, quote, I'm not going to believe it until I see his bones and they identify him. After all these years, I figured he was dead. I still held up hope that he was alive. I just don't know how to feel right now. I'm just hurt. Confused and hurt and numb. By now, people were confused about why Charles Gibson would want to harm an 11-year-old boy. Deborah told the media that the police said Arlen's murder had something to do with drugs, but she didn't understand that. She wasn't involved in drugs, and she didn't know J.D. or the Gibson brothers. It just didn't make sense to her. On August 1st, authorities kept looking for Arlen's body. 
The county prosecutor told the media that they were confident J.D. was telling the truth. He, quote, knew too much stuff that wasn't on public record about the disappearance. Too much for it to be a hoax. For example, J.D. knew that Deborah got a ransom call on the day of Arlen's disappearance. This information had never been released to the public. So I've talked to you guys about this before. I don't know if I've talked about it on Detective Perspective, but definitely on Crime Weekly, if you're familiar with that, which I'm assuming 95% of you are. Uh, guilt knowledge. This is huge. If we're to assume that Deborah never told anyone outside of the authorities that she had received this ransom call, this is really compelling information. There's no way that JD would have this information unless he was somehow involved with Arlen's disappearance. Now, that's a big if when it comes to Deborah. And I'm not saying she didn't do everything by the book, but maybe while confiding in one or two people, um, she mentioned this. And then those people go and tell someone else. And then it's a smaller community. Before you know it, rumors get out there and now everybody knows about it. And even if JD doesn't know if it's true or not, he says it to authorities to try to gain credibility. And maybe he just gets lucky and says the right thing. And if that were the case, that would be on the investigator to figure that out. And it wouldn't be that hard because during that interview, they would put everything together and say, yeah, he hit on the ransom call. But he also said 12 other things that we know are not true. So it's a high likelihood that he just guessed and happened to get it right. But if he mentioned the ransom call and everything else he said was also true, then it's a possibility that J.D. was telling the truth. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Now the next day, authorities announced they had finished their search without finding Arlen's remains. Despite this, they were still going ahead with charges against J.D., Charles, and George. On August 15th, J.D. Spangler pleaded guilty to the first-degree murder of Arlen Henderson. He agreed to testify against the Gibson brothers and went free that day. The St. Louis Post-Dispatch reported that a few weeks later, J.D. returned to the court to testify at a hearing for the Gibson brothers. J.D. repeated his claims that Charles made him kidnap and kill Arlen and that George assisted him during the kidnapping and murder. During the hearing, the Gibson attorneys pointed out inconsistencies in J.D.'s story. One example being that the house J.D. said they held Arlen captive in wasn't even purchased by Charles until years after Arlen disappeared. The attorney suggested J.D. was lying because he wanted his, quote, 15 minutes of fame. Following this hearing, the FBI questioned J.D. about his inconsistencies and gave him a lie detector test. After about four or five hours of questioning, J.D. confessed that he had made up the whole story. His reason for doing it was he didn't like the county, the sheriff's department, or the Gibson brothers. 
The next day, prosecutors announced that JD had lied about killing Arlen. They charged him with felony perjury and cleared Charles and George of any wrongdoing. Deborah told the St. Louis Post-Dispatch that she doubted JD's story from the beginning because no one in her family knew the Gibson brothers. She said, quote, Now I've got to start more or less from square one. I don't think I got over the shock of them telling me he was dead yet. I'm scared to start hoping he'll be found again. Months later, JD pleaded guilty to perjury and was sentenced to seven years in prison. After his sentencing, Deborah told the media, quote, I'm not angry. I'm too tired. I think it's from the depression. In the summer of 2005, JD was up for parole. At that time, he spoke to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch and claimed that he did really kill Arlen and he had lied to the police when he said he wasn't responsible for the murder. The dispatch informed the police and they interviewed JD from prison. He repeated his claim that he murdered Arlen, but they didn't believe him. He lacked all credibility by this point. There were no further developments in Arlen's case until January of 2007. That month, two teenage boys who had gone missing in the St. Louis area were rescued from an apartment of 41-year-old pizzeria manager Michael Devlin. One of the teenagers, who was 13 years old, had been kidnapped by Michael a few days earlier from a rural area about an hour from St. Louis. The other teenager, a 15-year-old, had been abducted by Michael over four years earlier when he was only 11 years old. He had been riding his bike in a rural town about an hour from St. Louis as well. Both of the teenagers looked like Arlen. They had the same build and were around the same ages when they were abducted. This led detectives working Arlen's case to take a look into Michael Devlin. Given the similar circumstances between all three abductions, they thought it was a real possibility that Michael could have been involved in Arlen's disappearance. At this time, detectives revealed to the public that a few months before Arlen went missing, he told his mom that a quote, tall, thin man had been taking pictures of him. Detectives wondered if Michael could have been that man. Unfortunately, in the end, they were unable to prove if he, or anyone else for that matter, was the photographer. In February, authorities announced the formation of a task force to investigate potential connections between Michael and six other cases, including Arlen's. But then, only a few months later, the task force was disbanded after failing to find any link between Michael, Arlen, and the other cases. Michael was later sentenced to multiple life terms for the abductions of the two teenage boys. In July, Deborah held a vigil to mark the 16th anniversary of Arlen's disappearance. She told the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, quote, There aren't many days I don't dread, but I'm not giving up hope. I have to keep going until someone tells us what happened to him. For the next two and a half years, not much changed in Arlen's case. Because of this, authorities decided to show Arlen's bicycle to the public for the first time in March of 2010. They had hoped that this would help jog someone's memory, but unfortunately it didn't work. No one came forward with any new information. For the next 13 years, there were no big developments in Arlen's case. Then, in August of 2023, the Sheriff's Department shared an age progression photo of what Arlen might look like at 40 years old. They again asked the public for help in gathering information about Arlen's disappearance. They also mentioned that they believe Arlen's older sister Joy and her husband Bob had, quote, critical information about Arlen's disappearance before they passed away. The Sheriff's Department said, quote, We've learned they made some comments that may be relevant to the investigation. They are no longer with us, so we can't speak with them. So the purpose of the media release is to find people who knew them. The department didn't provide any more details, 
They simply asked anyone who knew Joy and Bob to talk to the investigators. So this media release is really interesting to me, and we're sitting here throughout this whole episode asking why and how it all ties together and if there's any truth to what JD had said. And I will say that this whole new wrinkle in this case could answer a lot of questions, and I'm going to explain in a few minutes during my perspective. Unfortunately, this is the latest information we have in this case. Arlen is still missing, and his mother continues to fight for answers. All right, so let's get into the perspective. Now, I think you guys have probably put together, based on what I said in the beginning and what we covered tonight, that this case is, is kind of at a, a dead end for right now, unless something new develops. And there's a couple scenarios that could have played out here with Arlen's case. First off, you could have a situation where Michael Devlin or someone like Michael Devlin saw Arlen riding his bike alone and it created a situation where Arlen was vulnerable and this abductor took advantage of that. They could have grabbed him right there with his bike or without his bike, took him somewhere and he may no longer be with us. The only way we would know that is if we ever found Arlen's body, if he, if he is no longer alive. That's the, that's the simple explanation and oftentimes it's the right one. However, as we've kind of laid out throughout this whole episode, this isn't a, a normal case. There's a lot more layers to this one and it revolves around J.D. Spangler because as I said earlier, J.D. had some guilt knowledge. Now, yes, it could have been a guess, but it also could have been the truth and maybe J.D. told the truth but then went back on his word and now came forward again because he was uncertain of what the right course of action was. Clearly, he's not a good person. Either way, he killed Arlen if he was involved. But there may be some dynamics going on behind the scenes where he was in fear of his life from the Gibson brothers and maybe he retracted a statement. And then later in life, after doing prison time, he said, whatever, I'm just going to come forward. But as the police said, and I agree with this completely, at this point, based on the flip-flopping of J.D. Spangler, you can no longer use him in the court as a credible witness. So if he is telling the truth, unfortunately, it would never stick. A defense team would rip it apart. No jury would ever convict anyone based on the testimony of J.D. Spangler. But for the sake of this conversation, let's say that J.D. Spangler was telling the truth, or at least part of the truth. As Deborah has said multiple times, she has zero connection to drugs. And so if we're to believe J.D. and that this was motivated because of some type of drug transaction or, I don't know, turf war between the Gibsons and someone else, is it a possibility, and I don't mean to disrespect Joy in any way, shape, or form, but is there a possibility that Bob or maybe Joy or maybe a combination of both had some type of business dealings with the Gibsons that we're unaware of? And this was retaliation for that. This was sending a message to Bob or Joy. However, I am skeptical about that, that theory, and I'll tell you why. I do think if that were the case, Bob would have known that. And at the time before he killed himself, he would have told the sheriff on the phone, listen, I didn't have anything to do with it, but I do feel partially responsible as, you know, I had problems with the Gibsons and I feel like Arlen was just caught up in the middle of that and they made an example out of him. The fact that he didn't say anything when he knew he was about to kill himself doesn't make a lot of sense, especially when he confessed to everything else. Now, as far as where we go from here with this case, I know I've kind of inferred that there's not much that can be done, 
But there is one nugget of hope, and that's the fingerprint that I mentioned on Arlen's bicycle at the top of this episode. Now, I don't know how viable this print is, but I would hope that cancellation prints were taken from anyone in Arlen's immediate circle and that this print is a a good print and they just haven't matched it to anyone. If for some chance they find a potential suspect and they take his print and he had no previous relationship with Arlen, you may have something. And it brings me back to Michael Devlin as well as other people. Now, that may be why the task force was eventually disbanded. Maybe they did have a print from Michael Devlin and it didn't match up. But that doesn't mean that there couldn't be someone else out there like a Michael Devlin who may match. So that is one small piece of hope that I'm still holding on to, that if new information comes out, they can go back to that fingerprint, compare it to this new person, and maybe they get lucky and they get a match. Regardless of the outcome of this investigation, the reason why I decided to cover it is because I had never heard the name Arlen Henderson before, and that might be the case for you as well. And we are here to not only talk about these investigations and for me to give my perspective on them, but to give a voice to the voiceless and to also remind the family members and friends of these victims that although we didn't know these individuals personally, we are here with them and we will support them as long as this investigation continues. To Deborah, if you happen to see or hear this episode, we're thinking of you. My thoughts are with you and your family. You're an extremely strong woman to have gone through everything you've gone through involving your children. And I know that as long as you have a breath in your body, you will continue to fight for your son and you will never stop searching for him. And that's going to do it for me, guys. As always, I want to thank you for being here. And if you made it to the end of the video, please leave a comment down below. Let me know what you think about Arlen's case. And are there any possible theories or scenarios that I didn't mention that you you think could be plausible in this investigation. If you're listening on audio and you're, you're unable to leave a review, just rate it. Let me know what you think. I think on Spotify, you can only leave a rating. On Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a short review. I try to read everything, so I'm looking forward to going through them and reading your thoughts. And finally, if you have a case that you think we should cover here on Detective Perspective, please contact us at cases at detectiveperspectivepod.com. Everyone stay safe out there. I'll see you soon. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.